Society 13 Podcast Network. Redefining podcasts. Do you like to listen? Shh, it's me, April. You know, from Virginia, we need to be quiet and concentrate. I have my Ouija board out. Let's see if we can contact any spirits tonight. Okay, here it goes. Ooh, it's moving. T E L L Tell T H E M Them Tell them The spirits want me to tell you something really great I'm an executive producer of the History Goes Bump podcast, and you can be one too. This episode is entirely listener-supported. If you would like to be an executive producer like me, then check out the Support the Show tab at historygoesbump.com. Well, we better put this board away before we get caught tempting the spirits. We wouldn't want Denise finding out. It's getting pretty spooky outside too. Wouldn't want you getting caught in a storm. Oh my goodness, what was that noise? Who turned out the lights? Ah! History tells the story of the world and of our lives. Sometimes that history goes bump in the night. Broadcasting from the center of oddity and the supernatural in central Florida, it's the History Goes Bump podcast. Hello, you spectacular people. Welcome to the 194th episode of the History Ghost Bump podcast. Ghost tours for the theater of the mind. I am your host, Diane. And this is Denise. On today's episode, we are bringing you Filipino legends. And we're going to be joined shortly by a Filipino listener by the name of April Garazzi. And she's going to share all kinds of mythology and folklore with us. And we're really looking forward to bringing that to you guys. Well, Denise, uh, looks like April got the old Ouija board out there. Yes, it does. And April, now you know why you should never, ever tempt the spirits. And we hope you're okay. Yes, we do. We wanted to send out a special little thanks to one of our little listeners. Grace sent us a fabulous picture, Denise. I loved it. It was very, very cute. Apparently... Grace is not only a fan of the History Goes Bump show, but she's also a fan of My Little Pony. And she thought, well, of course, why not combine the two? So she drew this picture that we put up on the Spooktacular crew, and we need to go put it on Instagram as well. But it features Denise and I as My Little Ponies, and we have microphones in front of us, and flying above us is a ghost My Little Pony. And Denise noticed something that I didn't notice offhand. First of all, I got to be the unicorn. So thank you for that one, Grace. And I noticed that my mane and tail were longer than Diane's mane and tail. So she got it right that you have long hair and I have short hair. So I had a short mane. Exactly. It's just those little details that make the difference. So thank you so much for drawing that for us, Grace. We really appreciate that. Yes, we did. 
We want to welcome to the Spooktacular crew, Sarah. Hey, Sarah. Nadia. Hello, Nadia. Deborah. Hi, Deborah. Shannon. Hey, Shannon. Jen. Hey, Jen. And I believe this is Natalia, or it could be Natalia, but I think it's Natalia. Hello, Natalia. That might be Natalia. And Arlene, who spells her name A-R-L-E-E-N-E. Hello, Arlene, with the E-E-N-E spelling. That's very unusual. And now, this moment, Naudity. In this moment in oddity was suggested by Tim Scott of History Dweebs. Christian Hopped is an eight-year-old boy living in California who is considered a baseball protege, and there just may be a very unusual reason why he is so skilled at baseball at such a young age. His mother believes that he is the reincarnation of New York Yankees first baseman Lou Gehrig. Gehrig was a baseball star during the 1920s and 30s. He was known as the Iron Horse and held the record of consecutive games played until it was broken in 1995. He played even with breaks in his hands and back issues. He was finally sidelined in 1939 by a neurological disease that would eventually be named for him, Lou Gehrig's disease, or ALS. He died two years later. Christian told his mother when he was only two years old that he used to be a tall baseball player and he died because his body stopped working. He told his mother that he would travel to hotels by train. His mother researched things he would tell her about his past life, and she would find that they would match up with details about Gehrig's life. A picture of Babe Ruth and Gehrig was shown to Christian, and he quipped that the two didn't speak to each other, which matched up with the fact that the two had been friends who had had a falling out. When she asked how he knew these things, he would answer, I just know. Christian never used Gehrig's name, though. He has become a baseball protege, that was the youngest person to ever throw a first pitch at a Major League Baseball game, which he did when he was three, and he was featured in the 2014 NLB All-Stars Game pregame show at the age of five. If Christian really is the reincarnation of Lou Gehrig, that would certainly be odd. You're not afraid of a little ghost, are you? And now, This Month in History. During the month of April, on the 4th, in 1841, President William Henry Harrison dies in office after only serving for 32 days. He holds the unfortunate honor of being the president to have held the office for the shortest length of time. Harrison ran on the Whig Party ticket with John Tyler. They ran an unconventional campaign, distributing free bottles of hard cider in little log cabin-shaped bottles to the public. It worked, and they won. Harrison had a love of oration, and that became his undoing. On Inauguration Day in 1841, it was bitterly cold as President Harrison stepped up to the podium. He delivered the traditional inaugural address. His would be the longest inaugural address in history at one hour and 45 minutes. He developed a cold quickly that eventually became pneumonia. Some historians believe that he had hepatitis, which weakened his immune system, and he was unable to fight off the pneumonia. Upon his death, John Tyler became president. Harrison left behind a wife and three children, one of whom would father Benjamin Harrison who went on to become the 23rd President of the United States in 1889. 
he served out his full term. The Philippines is made up of thousands of islands. Together, they are an enchanting country of beautiful beaches and opportunities for outdoor adventure. The Philippines was under Spanish rule for 350 years, and much of the country is Catholic because of that beginning. The influence is still seen today in the numerous historic churches and in the Spanish colonial architecture. The people of this land embrace spirituality, and there is a rich culture of mythology and folklore here. The Philippines' pantheon is vast, and there are dozens of creatures that are found in the local lore. Some seem silly, while others are truly terrifying. Our Filipino listener, April Garasi, joins us to share stories of folklore and some haunting experiences that she has experienced. Join us as we explore the legends of the Philippines. We are joined by listener April Garasi, and she is from the Philippines, and she's here to share with us some Filipino folklore. How are you, April? I'm good, Diane, and it's nice to talk to everybody. Well, one of the first things that I know everybody would love to know, as well as Denise and I, is since you're from the Philippines, what area are you from? I'm actually from Manila, the main city, but my grandparents and my parents are actually from the different provinces there. Um, my grandparents are from Tarlac or Capiz or Paniki most of the time, it's known as well. And when it comes to spirituality and ghosts, what do Filipinos <laughs> think about those kinds of things? Just generally, I know everybody has their own beliefs about stuff, but generally, is it something they talk a lot about? The thing is, the Philippines is actually about 80% Catholic, but at the same time, a lot of people in the rural areas there believed in some form of ghosts and monsters that they have since before the Spanish colonized the Philippines. Well, that makes a lot of sense to me because I thought, well, let me just go ahead and I'll Google Filipino folklore to see what comes up. And there is a lot of mythology and folklore in the Philippines. I had no idea. <laughs> oh, yeah, there's a lot. There's even different forms, actually. It depends on the provinces that we have there. You can say it's kind of like different states of the Philippines, but it's like different regions of it. It depends on the region and how they developed as well. Well, you obviously are interested in the paranormal and supernatural since you've been listening to History Ghost Bump. What got you interested in it? Well, the thing is, I, I grew, like I said, growing up, I've been hearing about different stories about my family and experiences like that as well. And one of the reasons as well is like, even though I grew up in the main city, I kind of lived in a haunted house. <laughs> Which leads into um, my next question. I was going to ask, have you had anything unexplained happen to you? Yes, I have actually one story I wanted to share with one of the ghosts that I wanted to talk to you about. But this is one of the one of my most recent ones before I left to live here in in America was I was waiting for my visa to come in. So that week I wasn't doing anything but staying at home. And then we have a second floor that it's just one room that my aunt used to live in. When I was just downstairs just listening and trying to just enjoy the day without doing anything, I heard my aunt's television on and like blasting to the very top of the volume. And I was like, it's the middle of the day. My aunt's not home. I was wondering what was happening. So I decided to just ask my grandma if my aunt's home. Maybe she came home early. I don't know what's wrong. And she said, no, just lower the volume and turn it off for your aunt. And I was like, okay. I went upstairs. And then I was, I thought it was just normal. Maybe she just forgot to turn off, off the television. I lowered the volume. So when she turns back on, it's not going to be like, 
too loud for her and turned off the television. So when I was going back downstairs, I heard it turn on again. And I was it kind of creeped me out first. Uh-huh. I was like, okay, that's weird. And then I came back upstairs and I saw it. The bars of the volume slowly going one by one by one up again. I kind of freaked out in panic, turned off the TV, pulled the plug and ran downstairs screaming. <laughs> I do not blame you. It's one thing. I can see what you're thinking of. Well, maybe she left it on, but it's kind of weird that you wouldn't have heard it before if it was blasting like that. Yeah. But okay, we'll go ahead and say, well, maybe she just left it on and you go up and click it off. And then, well, maybe there's some kind of electrical thing going on with the TV that it's turning itself on. But when you are watching the bars go up as the volume's going up, that is weird. Uh Oh, that's just not all. Because I complained to my grandfather that that happened. My grandfather is a skeptic, even though he kind of believes in some of the rumors. He's like, let me get to the bottom of this first before I believe the story, you know? Well, good for him. That's the way I am. I know. That's why I love you guys. So my grandfather takes it to like an electrician in a mechanic that we always use. And the mechanic said that was in 37 years of him working on electricity or anything that has power, he never seen any, any problem with the TV that we had. Wow. So we had to find some a different television. And then that TV stayed downstairs and it never turned on by itself again. Interesting. <laughs> You told us the story about when you were young and your family would drive five to eight hours to go visit your great-grandparents. Would you tell everybody a little bit about that, where they lived? Yeah. So at that time, when I was younger, Tarlac is not very um, modernized yet. So there's like only a few power grids in the area. So only the main streets have streetlights. And my grandparents were lucky enough to be near one of the main roads so we can still see streetlights but their backyard was not as lucky so it's basically pitch black when it's dark outside and i love going to my great-grandparents house when i was younger they have the best old-fashioned house it's, it's fashioned like it was pre-colonial um spanish uh, spanish houses like that mm. and but they also have the best backyard. My cousins and I love playing hide and seek, playing house, and they even have like a small bamboo hut out back there so we can play house when I was growing up. But we have something called the capre growing uh, in the Philippines. It's a fi- it's kind of like the Filipino Bigfoot. And they're known for staying up in big trees there. And what happened was when I was a kid, my grandparents and my parents always told us, like, we have to be inside all the time before the sun goes down because of the capri. And when I was a kid, I was like, yeah, you know, just playing with my cousins all all day was we didn't we didn't want to go home. <laughs> so one <laughs> yeah so one time me and my cousins were playing a game of hide and seek and we decided okay the sun was still was just setting we have a couple of a uh, couple of minutes of daylight left so let's finish one last game so my cousin who was it at that time was counting down and he suddenly stopped counting and he looked up he looked up on the big tree that we have in our backyard and he started pointing up so me and my other cousins that were hiding noticed him not counting down we were like what's wrong we went to him and we looked at the spot he was pointing and there was a small tiny light and we were like oh that's just a firefly or something but then there was no wind that day and the leaves from the top of the trees just started shaking like someone is about to go down. So me and my cousin started running back to the house and yelling Capri. And my grandparents are like, this is what we told you. <laughs> this is their way of keeping you from going out in the woods at night, of course. Yeah. <laughs> so do you really but, think I- it was this creature or do you think it was some kind of other animal that might have been playing in the trees? 
Well, thinking back on it now, it might be like a firefight and something uh, something on top of the trees. But there is there's no explanation for it with the trees. Like it, the the way the trees shook was like if someone was coming down, and there was no wind that day. I remember it specifically because everyone was like. It was in the middle of summer during that time. Well, and fireflies, uh, they're not big, so they usually don't shake leaves. No, they're not. <laughs> and its the, the glow of it is actually like bright, not bright orange, but it's like when you see a cigar, because that's mm-hmm. what sappers are known for. I was going to say, why don't you go Sorry, ahead and describe them for people so that they know what this creature and why that uh, sounds like, oh, maybe that is what it was. Okay, a capri is a Filipino Bigfoot for our stories. He is like a big, hairy, scary man. And the one thing he's known for is for smoking a cigar. And the thing about that is like, we don't know what he looks like except for glowing red eyes and being big and hairy because nobody has, nobody dared to go near him. Mm-hmm. He's not evil per se, but he is known for like getting travelers confused and lost in the forest. The only way you can escape is actually just taking off your shirt and turning it inside out. <laughs> now, I've never heard that as a remedy before. I wonder, Do they have a reason why taking off your shirt, turning it inside out works? I don't know, but my mom told me this and I was I asked the same question and she said it's going to confuse him or make him laugh so much that he lets you go. <laughs> Interesting. Okay, well, we'll have to remember that if we're ever hiking in the Philippines. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I thought was really cool about that story that you told is I know American mm-hmm. kids all play tag growing up. So it's really neat to find out that all across the world, kids are playing tag too. Oh, yeah. But we have different games as well. We also have our our own hopscotch as well, too. <laughs> oh, interesting. So that's your experience with the Capri. What other kind of creatures have you been told either from other people or maybe your own family members? Well, I also have, an, like I said, I also have another experience when I was younger. This one is more scary for my family than than normal because this one I was really, really young. So... It was it also happened back in the in the province that we used to go to in Tarlac when I was younger. My parents didn't know but we were playing in the backyard there was an anthill. And anthills in the Philippines like you have to say a specific phrase when you're going through them because it's the house of a nuno which is kind of like a small dwarf in the Philippines. That nuno is kind of like it's kind of like a dwarf. It protects itself and it says and you have to say the phrase tabi tabi po because it's kind of like you're respecting their space. And if you don't do it, they're going to be like very, very not evil per se, but they're going to be very mean to you and make you sick like that. So apparently when I was younger, I stepped on it. And when we came back home from the province, I got really, really sick. They don't, the doctors don't know what was wrong with me. So my mom brought me to what we call a manhihilot. And it's kind of like a good witch in the Philippines. I can't remember the details of that night because I was really, really sick and I was really tired. But my mom brought me there. It was really late at night. I just remember going to a, a, a like an old lady's house, and then she just started rubbing oil on me, just trying to like make me relax, see what was wrong with me. And then I remember her giving something to my mom and saying that she has to do something, but I can't remember what. And I I asked my mom about what happened that night, but my mom doesn't want to repeat it in fear of repeat of me getting sick again. Wow, that's interesting. So it shows that she's still kind of superstitious about these anthills. Yeah, everybody is in the rural areas in the Philippines. 
like those anthills are kind of like they say if you don't say that specific phrase you will get sick so be careful when you're crossing an anthill in the philippines (laughs) well i can tell you we have horrible ants here in florida they do not like me and whenever i get bit i swell up horribly maybe if i try saying something as i'm going across these anthills it'll save me some pain (laughs) i would I wish I could help you on that one. Did you get bitten by ants or was it just that you happened to walk over it and then you got sick? I honestly can't remember because it was like I was really, really young at that time. But I've been bitten by ants after and I never got sick that much. Uh I, I, I had nightmares. I was like, I remember being vomiting and nausea for that few days that I was sick. We don't know what was wrong. Yeah, that doesn't sound like, you know, ant bites usually what mine do is they swell up because they have a poison in them and then they, you know, pop like a zit or whatever and you get really itchy mm-hmm. and stuff. But no, no nausea or anything like that. Interesting. What did you say that you got? You call the quote unquote witches there? One of the terms we use is called monkey hilot. It's, I don't know why, because hilot means massage. So oh. someone that massages people. I know it's weird, but we also have some another name is Albolario or something like that. But we never really use that term for that lady that we visited. And is this embrace there or is it kind of a on the down low? Kind of like if you go to a voodoo practitioner, you don't really tell people about it. And it's kind of like, I know they might be able to help me, but I don't want to make a lot of news about it. Well, the thing about it in the Philippines is actually the scientific community call them quack doctors. And <laughs> Why am I not surprised? Prefer- <laughs> yeah, it's true. In the rural areas, they believe them more than the people that live in the city because they're basically, they're also cheaper mm-hmm. uh, alternative way of me- medicine. I honestly believe that that lady helped me first, but at the same time, I believe in medicine more since mm-hmm. I grew up in, in the main city. Sure. I'm kind of the same way. I'll go to the main doctor, but I do like to use some naturopathic type stuff as well. So uh, what other, have you heard about any other creatures there or does anybody talk about any other kind of creatures? Oh, we have loads. One of the creatures I actually wanted to share with you is the Philippine vampire. Oh, I wanted to ask you about that too. I was like, I hope she taught, is it Aswang? Is that how they say it? Yes. The Aswang is actually a type of monster that has different lower, not lower levels, but if you're saying like you're from, how can I say this? Like they have different types of Aswangs as well. Okay, great. So the main Aswang that most people know is the one that shapeshifts. They're the ones that turn into pigs and dogs. And there's another one. It's a type of Aswang. It's called Tik-Tik because it makes that Tik-Tik noise. The weird thing about that is because when it's farther, it's actually sounding closer. When it's closer, it sounds farther. Interesting. I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why it's like that, but it's weird. And the other one, the other type of aswang we have is mananangal. By day, it's a lady. It's a beautiful lady that everybody like thinks is normal. But then at night, her lower half would root itself to the ground and she would split herself in half and grow bat wings. So her upper half would go around flying and looking for a pregnant lady while her other half hides to protect itself. Oh, weird. So she like splits herself at the waist and starts flying. Mm-hmm. Ooh, yes, that would be creepy. Flying. It is. She would start flying and looking for a pregnant woman. And once she finds it, she has a really, really long tongue that's kind of like a needle at the end because it's like thin and hollow and then once it finds the pregnant lady it's going to go perch itself up on the roof and then the tongue would go slither down to go to the stomach of the pregnant lady and drink the blood of the fetus oh my gosh how horrible (laughs) i know (laughs) 
Is there any way and that you can ward them off or protect yourself against them? They say that garlic is a way to protect yourself, but the only way to kill it is like you have to find the lower half and spread salt and ashes on the lower half so that they don't they won't be able to connect together when when the sun rises again and it it burns her. That's the only way to kill it. That's what they're saying. I love this creature. I've never heard of anything like that before. That is really original and very fun. <laughs> well, that's the uh, that's the more modern version. The other version that I also see sometimes is that instead of the lower half, it splits its head and it flies around with just its spinal cord. <laughs> oh, great. That's even better. <laughs> <laughs> do you have any other questions or do you want me to say another creature that we have that I wanted to share? <laughs> yeah, I would love to hear about this one too. This one is called the Chana. It depends on which region you are to how it's created. But this is kind of like a ghost of a monster of a little kid, a baby per se. And it's like it eats people at night. So imagine like you're wandering through the forest and you hear the cry of a baby. You're trying to find where it is. And then you see a small baby, a bundle of joy, and you pick it up just to just to try to comfort it. And then you see the face and it's like something from out of hell and it eats you. That's that's the Chanak, basically. That's the story of a Chanak. Oh, that's great. Yeah, because most people will be like, oh, my gosh, somebody left a baby out here in the woods. How horrible. And then you go and you're like, oh, there it is. Poor little thing. And then you turn it over and it eats you. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, that's a that's a horror movie right there. Yes, it is. <laughs> the only reason, um, the thing for us for Chanak, like I said, it depends on the region and how it's made. The thing for us, when I was growing up, this one is, when the baby dies before it's baptized. That's for my region. That's that's how my mom explained it to me. The other regions that I heard about is when the baby dies during childbirth. The mom and the baby dies, and then they go into limbo, and then the evil spirits take over the baby's body. Like I said, the Philippines is comprised of 7,000 islands, so there's different regions and different areas of how, it, how stor- our stories develop. Oh, that's very interesting. So that would be kind of a way to, I don't want to say pressure, but it is kind of like to pressure a family to make sure you get the baby baptized right away, just in case something happens. You don't want it to end up as this little creature in the forest eating people. Yes, (laughs) that's one way to say it. Now, do you have anything that would be along the lines of, say, uh, a zombie or anything like that? Not a zombie, but an aswang is actually close because a a different type of aswang as well. What's it called? Like human flesh. So like we would think that this normal, this person is normal, but then you would have some mysterious dis- disappearances, and apparently they would find that that person's body parts or guts in the aswang's house. Okay, very cool. I saw some stuff about half humans, half beasts. Is there, are you familiar with any of that stuff? Oh yeah, we have one. Well, we have more than one, but one of them we have is called a tikbala. It's kind of like the opposite of a centaur. It has a horse's head, a human's body, and a horse's hooves for hands and feet. Oh wow, that's I don't know. weird. <laughs> yeah, it's it's weird, but it's kind of like a capre too that it confuses people when they're in the forest or when where they're like alone and in solitude. But they don't really specifically say what it does aside from making them lost. I would be lost because I'd be running like heck. (laughs) You're like, oh, there's some dude over there. No, wait a minute. It's got a horse's head. Oh, yeah, I would be running too if I see that. And I also saw some stuff about merfolk, like that there is some belief in 
maybe mermaids or mermen, that kind of thing? Yes, we have. For mermaids, we have our sirena for the sea, uh, the salt water, but I can never pronounce the freshwater ones. I'm so sorry about that. Well, that's um, fine. You probably do better ones. than me. <laughs> The province I grew up doesn't have a lot of ocean. It's more it's more landlocked, which is surprising for the Philippines because we're surrounded by ocean anyway. Sure. But our the province I grew up more is more landlocked than normal. So for us, we don't really have those. But I know that we do have freshwater uh, mermaids. They instead of like what you imagine Ariel to be, mm-hmm. they're more like well, you can't say Ursula, but their bottom half is eels. Oh wow! They're Weird. Like, mm-hmm. Yeah, and they're they're more nicer to children. They protect them. Like if a child gets lost, they would bring water or fish to the kid. But then if they're like horrible to adults. That is weird. Not only to hear that it has an eel-like lower half of its body, but fresh water. That really is interesting to me because we don't hear about merfolk usually being in fresh water. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's really interesting when I was actually hearing about that. But I, the first time I heard about it was when I was about. 13 or older already because like I said I we don't have them specifically in our area but I have friends that they would tell me what they were growing up with as well when I was in the in the main city did you say that was like sirena is that how you said it yes a sirena is kind of like a siren I was just gonna say that's what it sounded like I bet that's what it's derived from then it sounds like it, and I don't really know the history of sirenas, but they're actually more like the Greek versions, like they're trying to lure the sailors to their deaths. They're beautiful in their upper half, but their bottom half, they're like, like I said, they're not aerial. They're the, scare, they're the, they're the scary types of fish. Yeah, because I've always thought eels are very ugly creatures. At least they don't have the head of an eel, but yeah, that's just a, a different <laughs> kind of, yeah, not very graceful looking, I wouldn't think. Oh, no, I don't think so either. Is there anything else that you wanted to share with us? You know, I know you had that one story from, was it school that was in the restroom? Oh, yeah, the the white lady. Or, well, it's not really a white lady because we don't know what she looks like. In my school in the Philippines, all of us, all everyone in the Philippines is kind of superstitious. But one folklore in our own school is the black washroom. That washroom is painted, all the doors is paint, painted black and it doesn't have any mirrors in it. The thing about that is like we, I was from a later generation going into that school. We don't know what happened, but my aunt told me that the reason what, that was that there's no mirrors in that because whenever you go inside and you're doing something, for example, like you're washing your hands, that the reflection would be doing something else like combing their hair or something like that. My my aunt doesn't have personal experience, but one of her friends went into the black washroom and she said that her friend came running out because when she was using the restroom, she can hear and feel somebody trying to watch her from behind her when she was doing her business. Wow, that's weird. I mean, that's got to be a pretty strong feeling if you go running out of a restroom. I know, but I never really talked to that friend. But she told my aunt told me that she went in once and she never wants to go in again because when she went in just just to wash her hands, not even use do it to use the restroom. She just went there to wash her hands. She said she heard footsteps and when she cuz that restroom is kind of long mm-hmm. instead of like um when you go inside there's more inside it's when you go inside there's the stalls and then it extends both ways and there's kind of like a small area on the side to just store brooms and stuff and then she heard footsteps and she went to, to look for it there's no no one there and you can imagine it's all tiles footsteps echo and there's no way for that 
for another person to be hiding somewhere because all the cell doors were open. Well, especially if she was feeling like it was from behind her. I mean, obviously, if she went into the stall, she would have seen if somebody was standing there. So, Yeah. (laughs) Other thing about that was it was on a second floor. There's no window there. Ah, interesting. That's that low. Yeah, so all of us could kind of get a feeling like, oh, I have this kind of creepy feeling. But you, you know, finish and get go out, wash your hands and be like, mm, well, that was just kind of weird. I don't know if I'll go in that restroom again. But to be running, that is somebody who's really creeped out. <laughs> yeah. I was going to ask you, too, when it comes to mm-hmm. ghosts and things, there's different remedies that people say, well, if you throw salt or if you pray or whatever, it's a way to fight off a ghost or something. Do you guys have any kind of traditional practices? I guess since there's a lot of Catholicism there, there's probably some prayer involved, but do you guys have like things that you do to try to ward off spirits if they are in your house or such? Well, not specifically spirits per se. I remember when I was growing up, one of them was you have to put a broom upside down near a window and the main door. I can't remember why was that. My mom was just saying to ward off something. That was one of the practices that my mom used to do. Another one was having a blessed dagger somewhere in the house to ward off the aswangs. I hadn't (laughs) heard about the dagger thing. We do have, there's some kind of folklore that we have here down in the South, and I can't remember what show we talked about it on, but I think it was when we were up in the Carolinas, and they would do the broom thing too, and it was basically to try to get the spirit distracted, counting all of the broom, the straw, parts of the broom, and that it would just be Mm. there all night counting those. And then when the sun came up, it had to leave. So it was a way of keeping it from coming in the house. I wonder if that was kind of a similar thing there. Mm, I, I didn't know about that. That actually sounds interesting because I all I heard about you have to keep it upside down because it protects you. I don't know why, how it protects mm. you, but my mom, follow my mom. Well, and you know, it could just be these things get passed on and we do it and we don't even know why. Even with some of our superstitions, we don't know exactly where it comes from, but we all kind of have this thing where you've got to do this, that or whatever, and it helps you. Yeah, most likely. My mom's mom, uh, bless her soul, she's already moved on. She's more superstitious than my mom ever was. And oh my goodness, going into her house was like an adventure all in itself. (laughs) I bet it was. I bet she had some great stories to tell you. Oh, yeah. Well, more of her intricities than anything else, honestly. (laughs) How long have you been in America? I've only been here since 2011. Not really long, but I would be on and off coming back since 2009 or seven, I think, because my, my dad moved here first. And then every year we would come, me and my younger sister would come and visit. So is this where you're going to stay permanently or are you planning on going back? Um, right now, I'm actually planning on staying here in America. I actually just filed for my citizenship this year. So I'm studying. I'm, that's one of the things I'm doing now, studying for that. Oh, very good to take the test. (laughs) You probably do better than most Americans, I bet. (laughs) (laughs) Well, wonderful. Good luck with that. We hope you get it. Thank you. Well, I want to thank you for suggesting this to us, April. And also, how do you say the island? Because I'm sure I butchered it. Was it Corregidor? How do you say that? Oh, you said it fine first. It's Corregidor. Corregidor. Oh, wow. That sounds so much better than the way I said it, though. It sounds just sounds nicer. (laughs) 
Thank you for suggesting that to us as well. That was a fascinating place to explore. And, you know, like you had written to me about how the Filipinos don't really like to talk about that stuff because I was like, this place has got to be really haunted when you think about all of the stuff that went on there with the war and a hospital there. And I was like, I can't find that much stuff. And then when you said, well, probably the reason is they don't like to talk about it, so they wouldn't have documented a lot of that. Oh, yeah. Most Filipinos, they, they, it's not that they don't want to talk about it. It's they don't want to talk about it, not in their native tongue, honestly. What I experienced more is like when they want they just say their story in English, they just kind of copy paste of what they, what they hear in English that sounds correct. Okay, gotcha. So basically, if they hear the story that it's in English and they feel that it's almost exactly what happened to them, they just copy that story. Instead of having their own original what happened to them, it's just somebody else's story that they're repeating. Gotcha. So it's like they could have been haunted by a ghost, but they're like, well, I don't really know how to tell that. So, but I know this guy over here said that this is what happened. So I'll just say that. Yes. Well, April, thanks so much for joining us. And I look forward to sharing this with all of the listeners. You have a great week coming up here. (laughs) Thank you. And have a good day to you too. All right. You take care. Bye. Bye Bye-bye. Do any of these legendary creatures of the Philippines actually exist? That is for you to decide. Well, I thought those legends were all very unique creatures. Haven't heard anything like those before. No, they're very, very interesting. And as we said in the last episode, what made this even better is April was here to pronounce a lot of that. And, you know, she talked about how this was a Spanish colony, basically. And I really felt like every time she would say these words, it sounded very similar to Spanish to me. So I'm thinking that Filipino is a little bit of a derivative from Spanish. I could be wrong, but it it just sounded that way to me. Well, if you're not correct, we will be enlightened. So our listeners are good at telling us what we've said correctly or guessed correctly and things that we've said maybe not so correctly. On our next episode, we're going to bring you Summer Wind Mansion, which is located in Wisconsin, or at least where it used to be is located in Wisconsin. We're going to be joined by Craig Nering, and he and his paranormal investigation group know a whole lot about this property. He's going to share the history with us and a lot of the experiences that he's had there, a lot of the evidence that they've recorded. This place seems like it was quite haunted when it stood, and it just may still be haunted without the actual house still being there. They're working very hard to rebuild it, and he'll share a little bit more about their efforts to get it rebuilt as well. We'd love to have you guys check out our website at historyghostbump.com. And Denise, if people want to send us feedback, where can they do that? They can do that at historyghostbump at gmail.com. And speaking of feedback, you know how it pains me to say this, Denise, but you were right. And what exactly was I right about, Diane? On our last episode, we featured fairies. And while we were talking about that, we got into talking about brownies. And you had wondered when it comes to Girl Scouts and brownies, where that term came from. And you surmised that maybe it had something to do with the brownies that are of the fairy variety that we were talking about. And alas, we heard from several listeners that that would be the case. So starting with Mitch, he said, listening to this fairy episode and hearing about the brownies and Girl Scouts made me remember something. I had a sibling in brownies, and they got a pen that was upside down until they did something helpful. And then it was turned over, and they were allowed to bridge over to become Girl Scouts. They got it after hearing some kind of story about a helpful elf or something. I can't remember now. I'm pretty sure the pen itself was supposed to look like an elf, but this was years ago, and the pen itself probably gone now. Just an interesting little tidbit. Not sure how far back in the history that goes. 
And we also heard from Emma, who said, I was a brownie too in the United Kingdom. We all learned the brownie story before we were sworn in. I only partially remember the story, but it talks about a little girl who asked an elf to help with chores. They are led by a wise owl into the woods and have to answer promises to move forward. The child reaches a pool and looks down to see the elf. During the swearing-in, we repeat with our sixter, squad leader, looking down at the pool, a mirror, I twist you and turn you and show you the elf, look into the water, and I see myself. The leaders of each pack are named after owls, barn owl, tawny owl, etc., and the children are divided into sixes, named after different fairy creatures. I was in imps and became a sixter, led my six. There were also Kelpies and others. And then Christina adds, I just listened to your latest podcast. You were wondering about brownies and Girl Scouts? My mother was a Girl Scout leader when I was a kid. I remember in the guide there was a story about brownies helping a cobbler and his wife. I don't remember all the details, but there was a link to the girls acting like the brownies and helping others. I haven't seen any reference to the story in recent guides, so I don't know if they still use the stories. Which prompted Steph to chime in, and she said, you're not talking about the great owl story, are you? And she said, I'm a guide leader, not a brownie leader, so I may have some of the details wrong, but it goes vaguely like this. And she shared the story, and then she finished by saying, my daughter and I were both gnomes. A lot of packs have moved on to woodland animals, though. I got to choose the gnome's replacement in my feeder pack, guide leader who used to help at brownie, so they are hedgehogs, it being my favorite woodland creature. So Steph then went on to put a link up to the actual story. So we have the story here, not just her recollection of it that I'm going to share with everybody. So this is why a brownie is called a brownie. The cottage on the edge of the wood was in an awful mess. There were dishes to be washed, clothes to be ironed, and toys scattered all over the floor. Tommy and Betty didn't care. They hated boring old housework. What am I going to do, their mother sighed. I can't keep the cottage tidy if only we had a brownie. What's a brownie, asked Tommy. A brownie is a magical little creature which slips into houses very early before anyone is awake. It tidies toys, irons clothes, washes dishes, and does all sorts of helpful things in secret, replied his mother. That's great. How can we get one, wondered Betty. I'm sure she did. The wise owl in the wood would know, I suppose, her mother said. Late that night, Tommy and Betty crept out of the cottage into the wood. It was cold and dark and full of shadows. Or were they ghosts? We can't go back. We've got to find the wise owl, said Betty firmly. Twit twoo, how do you do? A voice hooted at them from a nearby tree. The wise owl. Tommy hugged Betty in relief. And soon the children were seated on a branch snuggling close to the big bird's feathers. They explained they were looking for a brownie. Do you know where we could find one? asked Betty. Indeed I do, hooted the owl. And placing her beak close to Betty's ear, she explained. Tommy, imagine, exclaimed Betty. There's a brownie in that pool over there. I've got to go to the pool over there. I've got to turn around three times and say, twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and there saw, who, 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 hooted the owl. Look into the water and you'll find your brownie looking back at you. Her name will finish the rhyme. The children raced over to the pool. Betty did exactly as the owl had said. Twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and there saw. She looked into the pool. Well, can you see it? Can you see a brownie, yelled Tommy, hopping from foot to foot in excitement? No, said Betty. All I can see is my own reflection. Tommy and Betty were so tired and disappointed that by the time they reached the tree again, they were in tears. Boo hoo hoo. What's the matter with you two? Hooted the owl, offering them a hanky. We didn't find a brownie, sniffed Betty. I saw no one in the water but myself. Well, well, said the owl. Let's see if that fits the rhyme. Twist me and turn me and show me the elf. I looked in the water and there saw... 
myself, finished Betty, but I'm not a brownie. Too true, too true, hooted the owl, but you could act like one for a change, and so could Tommy. It would be fun. Tommy and Betty returned thoughtfully to the cottage. If you'd passed that way very early next morning, you would have seen a lamp burning in the kitchen window and two figures busily scurrying about inside. And when the children's mother came down for breakfast, she couldn't believe her eyes. There wasn't a toy in sight. Everything was clean and tidy. Why, a brownie has been here. How wonderful, she gasped. From that day to this, the cottage has been a different place, and Tommy and Betty have been like different children. They never get bored now. They're too busy planning their secret good turns. Of course, their mother has discovered the truth. She thinks she's very lucky to have such helpful children. And Tommy and Betty have discovered how right the wise owl was. Being human brownies is fun. Denise, I think those kids got coerced. Just a little bit. But that's a fun story. We have a few iTunes reviews here to share with everybody. First up is Anantal. Spook Chat, five stars. This is a terrific podcast on so many levels. Thank you a heap for doing this. I admire your tenacity. Well, thank you. We appreciate that. The next one is from L. Gillette 30. History and Ghosts, five stars. I recently found this podcast while looking for a new history podcast and can't stop listening. I've been binge listening. I love how I feel I am in the room with a group of people just talking about history and ghost stories. Great research. Keep it up. Thank you for that one. And finally, Pyromaniac Midget. Just love it. Five stars. I first heard about this podcast on Bizarre States with Jessica Chobot. I'm so glad that I did. You gals make history interesting. And then you add the spooky factor. Your chemistry is great. And I look forward to each episode. And you ladies make Florida sound almost inviting. Too bad the two most interesting ladies there are only interested in each other. <laughs> well, thank you for that. We appreciate it. We want to thank you guys for joining us for this episode. I have been your host, Diane. And this has been Denise. You take care now. Bye-bye. This episode has been brought to you by our executive producers. We'd like to welcome new executive producer, Tiffany Patrick. Thanks. Want to keep the spooks away? Give us a review.